family. It's really good to be back with you guys uh, two weeks in a row. And if this is your first time uh, to be with us, uh, if you were not here last week, uh, I was able to join you. My name is Aaron, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and I pastor a church in Indianapolis. And uh, so it really is an honor uh, to be back with you guys. Uh, I just uh, want to say happy Father's Day to uh, all the dads in the room and those maybe watching online. And if you're um, new to the church, or maybe this is your first time with us, uh, we are just walking our way through John's gospel. And, uh, you know, uh, every week there's going to be a different guest preacher that's here um, uh, delivering God's word. But the thread of continuity is the gospel of John. And we're just kind of walking our way through verse by verse, line by line, you know, reading, explaining, and applying John's gospel to our lives. And last week, we started a series within a series called Miracles. And so we're looking at this section of John's gospel, the miracles of Jesus, and we're coming across the third one that today that John records. So already we've seen that the very first miracle Jesus did was he was at a wedding party and they ran out of wine. And so he made some more. And then uh, last week, uh, we talked about this royal official who had a son uh, that Jesus healed from about 25 miles away. He never met the kid. And Jesus just said the words, and this uh, child is healed. Well, today we're going to look at Jesus' third miracle. It's a healing of this guy at a pool of Bethesda. It's found in John chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there at John chapter 5. We're going to walk through the first 15 verses of this chapter together. And we're going to see that this is a guy that needs a miracle, like his body needs to be healed. But we're also going to see that his mind and his heart need to be healed as well. He needed a miracle. Kind of reminds me of that um, married couple and uh, he goes in for a series of tests and they go to the doctor's office to get the results of the test back. And uh, the doctor says to the wife, you know, I really need to speak to you privately first. And so she goes into the room and the doctor sits her down and he says, listen, we've got the results back and your husband's diagnosis is not good. Um, he um, at, at best has about a year to live, at worst, maybe just a, a couple of months. Uh, he needs a miracle, uh, but you can participate in this miracle. Like you could actually prolong his life. And she said, well, wow, what do I have to do? And he said, well, just, um, you know, make sure that uh, he gets breakfast in bed every day. And, uh, you know, let him go golfing with his buddies whenever he wants and let him watch his uh, TV shows that he wants to watch and, and give him scalp massages. Just be there at his beck and call. And uh, he might live about a year. He might even overcome this thing and experience a miracle and defeat this. And she's like, wow, okay, I understand. And so she leaves, goes out to the car and gets in with her husband. He says, honey, what did the doctor say? And she said, uh, sweetheart, he said you're gonna die. That, that's, that's what he said. <laughs> so, what I want you to see, there's, there's, there's claps, there's applauses, all right? So what I want you to see today as we uh, come to uh, chapter five and when it comes to the miracles is, is simply this. There is always more going on behind the scenes. When Jesus does a miracle, he's not just doing a magic show. When Jesus does a miracle, he's not simply trying to wow or impress people. He's not even just trying to release somebody from some sort of physical ailment. You know, uh, think about this. Every person that Jesus healed eventually died. Not everybody that Jesus met that needed a miracle, did he give one? Well, what about this? Uh, uh, so oftentimes when Jesus would do a miracle, he, he would say these words right after. Hey, um, don't, don't tell anybody. I don't know about you guys, but if I could do miracles, I'd be like, tell all your friends. 
You know, tag me on Instagram. You know, let, let's get the word out. But Jesus is like, hey, hey, don't, don't tell anybody. Now, why, why would, would he do that? Well, because behind the miracles are signs. We've got to remember who Jesus was and what he came to do and what Jesus' primary mission was. The miracles were signs pointing to the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. That is so important for us to grasp. Otherwise, we try to turn Jesus into a vending machine and he, he, he refuses to play that game. So as we come to, to John chapter five, and even as, as, as you guys move into chapter six, we're gonna see a much bigger story brewing in the background of what John wants us to know. So in this passage today, we come face to face with some Jewish leaders who are really, really irritated with Jesus. And they begin to set the gears in motion. Um, the, the very origins of Jesus' crucifixion begin here in chapter five. And we begin to see that this early in the gospel, the hostility towards Jesus is gonna take root and it's gonna build momentum. And what sets it all off, we could say, is the miracle that Jesus does here in chapter five. Now, now I want you to watch this. Jesus does this miracle purposefully and directly in order to confront religious legalism. He wants to get a response out of them. So um, Jesus heals this guy. We're gonna, we're gonna walk through the text here. He heals the guy because he needed healing, obviously. Jesus does this out of compassion, but he also does the miracle to pick a fight. So look at chapter five, verse one with me. If you don't have a Bible, this is on the screens behind me. It says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So I just want you to get to this visual in your mind. They are at this very large um, pool that was like sort of like a, a hot springs and people with all kinds of physical ailments would gather around and there were these five roofed colonnades that would provide shade from the hot sun and they would just lay around this pool and they really wanted to get in because there was, they, it was believed that the hot springs were um, therapeutic, that it would provide some healing, or at the very least, it would feel good. Um, um, one of the things that we've done with our kids, I've got four kids, um, and when they were younger, uh, we would go out to Colorado because my wife's family um, owned a condo near like Keystone and Breckenridge. And so we'd take our kids out there and we'd go snow skiing. And after two or three days of snow skiing, your body is just sore and beat up. At least mine is, right? And so uh, we would, uh, after two or three days of skiing, we would uh, pile them all in the car. We would drive west on I-70 a couple of hours to a place called Glenwood Springs. In Glenwood Springs, there is this large swimming pool that was built in the early 1900s that is fed by natural hot springs. I mean, getting in that after you, your body is sore and beat up felt so good. This is what I think of when I read this passage. You've got this pool, you've got all these people that are in need of some physical relief of some kind. And they're gathered there. Now look, Jesus hones in on one guy. There were a bunch of people there, one guy. Verse five, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Let that sink in. Like I'm a big crybaby if I'm sick for more than three days. This guy has been dealing with this physical ailment for 38 years, nearly four decades. Verse six, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, 
would you like to get well? Well, duh. I don't know about you, I, I would. Kind of sounds like a strange question, but I think behind the question, I mean, Jesus, number one, he already knew how long this guy had been sick and he hadn't even said a word to him. So Jesus knows this guy really, really well. And I think he knew something about him that we don't know just yet, but I think we're gonna find out. His illness was all-consuming. And I'm guessing that not very many people paid very much attention to him or gave him the time of day. He's not used to anybody looking directly at him or talking to him. And he had quite possibly just gotten to this place where he accepted this is gonna be his lot in life. One of the things that I find kind of striking about this passage is that, especially in contrast to last week, if you were here, is that last week there was a royal official who traveled 25 miles. He goes out of his way, seeks Jesus, and asks Jesus for a miracle. Here, Jesus seeks this guy out. This guy didn't go looking for Jesus. Like he was not even like fully aware of who Jesus is. And, and, and here's the other thing. It's not like Jesus went one by one to all the people that were sick around the pool, asking them if they wanted to get well. He just honed in on this guy. Why? I don't really know why. But he asked him, do you want to get well? And look at the guy's response because his response is reflective of the condition of his heart. He says in verse seven, I can't. How many of you parents are like, never say can't. No, no, don't ever say that. He's like, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. He's got a bit of a victim's mentality. He's, he's pinning the blame on others. If there was only somebody that would lower me into the water, if there was only somebody that would prioritize me. Now notice he doesn't answer Jesus' question. Jesus' question is a yes or no question. And this guy answers with a complaint. This guy sees this as an opportunity to sort of voice his, his grievance. And look at how Jesus chooses to respond in verse eight. Jesus told him uh, three things. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And then it says, instantly the man was healed and he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now, this is really, really straightforward. And what I want you to see is oftentimes the way that in which Jesus chooses to heal is oftentimes kind of different. In this instance, and you can tell there's like, there's something else that Jesus is trying to communicate here because of how simple it is. But Jesus just tells him, he's like, hey man, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy instantly was healed. Jesus didn't always do it that way. Uh, last week, he healed the child from a distance, didn't even meet him. Here, he just says, hey, get up. Uh, uh, one time, Jesus spit in the dirt, made some mud and smeared it on a blind man's eyes and then he could see. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus could have just healed the guy's eyes at a distance. He's like, watch this guys, you know, and he's gonna like smear. So, 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 so Jesus is, didn't even lay a finger on him. He just says the words and this guy is healed. It just seems so straightforward, but there's more going on here. And that's what we see next. Look at verse nine. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh-oh. So the Jewish leaders objected. Of course they did. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Talk about adventures in missing the point. This guy has been lame for nearly 40 years and he is healed and they're upset that he's carrying a mat on the Sabbath. 
And that's what religious legalism always does. That they could not see the miracle. And friends, that is what legalism today in all of our lives does for us. It blinds us to the miraculous. And I want you to see this. Um, Salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. It is a miracle that me as a broken down sinner would be saved by God's grace. Uh, Listen, salvation is not an achievement. It is a standing before a holy God where he righteously declares that Jesus' righteousness is transferred into your account and he takes on your sin and he, he lived the life that we could never live. He died the death we deserve to die. So that way we could have the standing before God that only Jesus has. It's a miracle. Now here's, here's the tension that exists in all of our lives as we seek to follow after God. Um, it's what we might call the tension between, um, if I could give it a word, hedonism. Hedonism just means self is number one. Or moralism, this idea that I can work to achieve a right standing before God. And there is gonna be that tension in all of our lives between making going after my selfish desires, wants, and ambitions, hedonism, and then seeking to earn it, seeking to justify myself before God. And in the middle of that is the gospel of grace and truth. Now, let me just speak to all the Christians in the room. The longer you follow after Jesus, the more susceptible you will become to moralism. And what moralism is, is we become blinded to the miracle of salvation. And we begin to live as if we are earning it. And we begin to give off the vibe to others that they need to earn it too. Man, maybe we never forget. Maybe we never be outside of the awe of the miracle of grace. About a week and a half ago, I had uh, uh, somebody in our church DM me and uh, they, um, and, and they, their spirit was really good, but they were basically just asking me questions around, you know, uh, really philosophy of ministry. It's, it's something that every church, man, I've, I've been pastoring now for about 25 years. And this is the tension that we're always having to weigh is the tension between evangelism and discipleship. Like, what should we do to reach people? And what should we do to grow people? And it just kind of feels like there's these tensions here. And I think that's a good tension for us to live in. And they were just basically asking me the question, like, you know, it just kind of feels like our default mode is, is grace. Like we're, we're constantly just trying to kind of reach, um, you know, the prodigal. And what about discipleship? And it's a great conversation. And listen, as a pastor, I never want to just be um, uh, wide without being deep. I believe that we should be formed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. But I also know what Jude says, snatch others from the fire. I also know that Jesus was God in the flesh. Like he didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. But this person that I was dialoguing with, they they said these words. They said, I don't know. Like I hear what you're saying. I understand the tension. And they said this, it's just that I'm just kind of burned out on the message of grace. And I thought, whoa, whoa burned out on the message of, now we can, and I'm not talking about easy believism. I'm not talking about cheap grace, but man, may we never be burned out on the message. Man, if I get burned out on the message of grace, then I've begun to drift into moralism. I think it was D.A. Carson who said, but by the grace of God, none of us stand a chance. These religious leaders could not see that. And they were upset. They, they didn't celebrate with this guy. You know, they, they didn't, uh, you know, go, man, this is incredible that you, you've been lame for 38 years. They were immediately upset that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath. And what we see next is that this guy's response reveals the condition of his own heart. 
Just because you've experienced a miracle of healing doesn't mean that that's radically changed your heart. Look at what it says in verse 11. But he replied, the man who healed me, he's talking about Jesus, doesn't even know his name. The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. So uh, once again, this guy's uh, got the blame game going on. Like, well, don't blame me. He told me to do it. And so uh, verse 12, who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. <laughs> but Jesus is gonna find him again. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and he told them, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Now that sounds a little harsh as you kind of read it. I want you to understand when it comes to good Bible interpretation, we've got to understand the difference between a warning and a threat. This is not a threat. This is simply a warning and it is a loving warning. Jesus said something very, very similar to the woman at the well. But, he, but her heart condition was different than this guy. So Jesus' words are a little sharper. And he says, hey, I, 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 he's speaking to the condition of this guy's heart. But verse 15, it says, the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So we could argue this, we could debate this. It seems as if this guy's heart hadn't been fully changed. So here's what I wanna do in like the remainder of our time. That's the text. I wanna take what we see and what we've learned from the text and I wanna apply it to our lives simply with this, just a, with a couple of questions. And, and I wanna I want ask this of you. You know, you know it's, it's easy at times to like listen to a sermon and go, hmm, my neighbor could really use this message. You know, I, I, have, I have a boss. I'm gonna, I'm gonna forward the link like right now. Yeah. So I, it's easy to do that. I'm gonna ask you not to do that. All right, I want you to just, for, now you could do later, but for the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go, man, how does this apply to me? Like, what is it that God's trying to say to me through this? So, so here's just a couple of questions I just want you to consider. Um, what do you want from Jesus? Like, what do you really want from him? And here's what I mean. Like, do you want what he can do for you, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself, or do you want him for who he is? Do you want to experience the healing power of Jesus? And right now I would imagine that maybe there's some sort of like physical ailment, there's a thing that is going on in your physical body that you need healing from. And Jesus could provide that healing. But do you want him more than you want the healing from your physical body? That maybe there's a, an emotional thing and a financial thing, a relational thing, a marriage thing, and, and you're needing Jesus to intervene. And I just simply want to ask you, do, what, what do you want from Jesus today and there is the need that we have. And then there is our heart disposition. And Jesus is always after the heart. So if he can capture your heart, like he might provide a healing and a relief of whatever the thing is, he might allow you to wait or even say no for a time because he knows you, he knows your heart and what he's at, you are an eternal being, not just a temporary earthly finite one. So when, when we lift our requests to God, he sees the eternal picture. He sees you into eternity and who you're becoming in eternity, not just the 70, 80, 90 years you might be on this planet. So here's what I wanna ask. How can you experience the healing power of Jesus? Well, when we start talking about healing and miracles and all that kind of stuff, here's what I want you to know. Man, we never wanna quench the spirit by refusing to believe in the power that he has to intervene and change things. We also don't wanna grieve the spirit by elevating our own 
personal kind of emotional experience over what God's word says so clearly about who he is and, and what he does and what he has promised. From personal experience, um, you know, I've often seen that Christians and churches kind of fall into one of two extremes when it comes to talking about healing and miracles. Um, either we don't talk about it at all, which is the church that I grew up in, or we talk about it and we get weird. And we don't wanna do either one of those things. I really do believe that it's possible to talk about Jesus as a healer uh, tangibly and physically without adding to or taking away from God's word what it has to say theologically or experientially. And it is just undeniable that as we read the four gospels, um, we see that Jesus came to heal. Here's what I mean. In the four gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there are 37 unique miracles that Jesus performed in the gospels. Every one of them has a reason. God is not random. He isn't careless and it is never without cause. Out of the 37 miracles found in the gospels, 28 of them are miracles of healing. So at face value, we see that this was something that was really, really important to him. So here's the question that I wanna kind of frame up the remainder of our time. And then I just wanna get extremely practical with, like stupidly practical today. Like you're, it's gonna be so simple. You're gonna go, I think I could have preached that message. And I'd be like, I think you probably could too. And maybe we should, right? So, so here, here's the question. How can I experience the healing power of Jesus? Well, first of all, if you're taking notes and I hope that you are, so you can kind of go back through and review this. You gotta first believe that he can. Sounds so simple, right? But I gotta first believe that Jesus can intervene into whatever situation that you might find yourself in. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he will. Can I say it this way? In the way that I will him to, but I never wanna doubt the power that he has if I believe that he can. Here's a good prayer that you could pray. God, I don't know what you're gonna do, but I believe that you can. And we never wanna speculate what God would do we want to anticipate what he can do. Otherwise, what hope do we have? So one, I gotta believe that he can. Here's number two, I gotta ask. I've gotta ask. I've gotta vocalize my request before God. How many of you have ever missed out on something simply because you didn't ask? You didn't ask for that table outside, you know, in this gorgeous sunshine. You didn't ask to be bumped up to business class, just wondering if maybe they've got an empty seat. You didn't ask for that girl to marry you. You just didn't ask the question. And so you missed the opportunity. Why don't we ask? Well, all kinds of reasons. Fear of rejection, fear of looking foolish or selfish. I don't wanna presume on anybody. We, we've got to ask the question. In fact, um, uh, God invites us to. Jesus would say this one time in Matthew chapter seven. He would say, not only ask, but keep on asking and you will what? Receive. You'll receive what you ask for. And immediately, some of you are objecting in your minds. So, so hang on with me. Just finish the passage. Keep on seeking and you will find. Uh, keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. you. You see a theme here? It's called persistence. So much of the time we just like maybe pray a prayer one time. We don't get the answer like, right. I mean, we are so, Amazon has ruined us. My wife ordered something yesterday morning, those little uh, Apple air tags, because we're getting ready to go on a trip with our daughter. They were there by three o'clock that afternoon. Like a little drone, just, you know, just drops the thing. So, so we've treat. We treat prayer that way. And here Jesus is like, no, this is gonna require a little bit of persistence. I'm gonna get to why here in just a few minutes. 
Verse eight, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. He promises us that. So what do we do instead of asking and knocking and seeking? Well, I don't know about you, uh, but I worry and I complain and I criticize. And have you ever talked to somebody or maybe you've said this, well, you know, I don't need to pray that. God already knows what I need before I ask it. That's a cop-out. He still desires to hear you ask. I, I have four kids. I long to hear them communicate with me and ask me and vocalize what they need, even if I know what they need. And God in heaven longs to hear your request. I love what Hebrews says. Hebrews invites us. It says, we can boldly, I love that word boldly. You can boldly come into the throne room of God and experience his grace. So we've got to ask, uh, here, here's the next thing. We've got to trust that Jesus will always answer me, which is what Jesus was alluding to in that Matthew 7 passage. And some of you today are, um, you know, if we were in a court of law, you go object. You know, I've got firsthand experience. I prayed that prayer and he didn't answer me. And I just very gently, very directly, very pastorally want to say, uh, if you are saying, man, God didn't answer my prayer, I just want to say there is no such thing. Jesus promises that every prayer that we pray will be answered. And God hears every prayer and he answers every prayer. He is not um, backed up on his inbox. You know, he's not distracted. He's not like, oh, that slipped by me. I meant to get back to you. Well, how does Jesus answer? And it's just, once again, I just want to get super, super practical. Uh, he can answer this way. He could, he could say yes. Which by the way, how many of you ever pray a prayer wanting to get a no? Like most of the time it's like, Yes is what we want to hear. Uh, yes is so good to hear. I hate hearing no. Here's why you should pray asking God for a miracle. Because he just might say yes. And not only that, he loves to say yes. I, I don't know that God will give you a yes. I don't know when he will, but I know that we worship a God who loves to say yes to his kids. How do I know that? Well, one time Jesus is teaching and he says, what have you parents? If your child asks for an egg, you're gonna give him a snake. And he's like, if you being evil, thank you, Jesus, appreciate that. Uh, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to you? So you should ask God for a miracle because you just might get one. He just might say yes, but here's what we're all fearing. He can say no. He can. That's actually the technical definition of being sovereign. He is king of kings and Lord of lords, which means he owes no one an explanation. And I think sometimes we assume that God didn't answer uh, when in reality, he didn't give me the answer that I wanted. Everyone loves a God who says yes. Real worship happens when we can exclaim that he is still good, even when he tells me no. Can I just tell you, man, like there was a handful of girls that I dated when I was in college and I was like, God, please, would you please just give them, you know, some sort of blindness or temporary amnesia? You know, it's like, would you just, do they marry me? You know, I was like, God, please. And, and uh, you know, they break up with me and I'm just so, oh, so crushed. You know, God said, no. And then I, you know, see a friend request on Facebook years later. I'm like, God, thank you so much for saying no. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like sometimes we just, we just see, 
that wasn't in my notes. I didn't plan that ahead of time. I might, I might edit that out next hour. I don't know. That's, it's true. It's true. All right. So, so God's, here's the thing is that with a little bit of time and perspective, I look back on the prayers in which God said no. And I'm like, thank you so much. It's like in the words of that great theologian, Garth Brooks, sometimes God's great, you know, I don't even know. So, (laughs) so uh, here's the thing. Did you know that um, God told Paul and Jesus no? One time Paul was praying and he said, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. What was it? We don't know. He called it a thorn in the flesh. I don't know that it was a literal thorn. Could have been, I doubt it. It could have been a slip disc. It could have been back pain. It, it could have been any number of things. It, it maybe it wasn't even physical. Maybe it was emotional or spiritual. And he's like, God, please take it away. And he begged him three different times. And God said, no. What did he say after that? Anybody remember? My grace, my grace is all that you need. Jesus, God in the flesh, the son of God, prayed a prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, God, if there's any other way to do this, could you please take this cup from me? And God said, no. And honestly, I'm so thankful that he did. Otherwise, that means that I'd be on the hook for paying off my own sins. He can say no. And sometimes in the moment, we don't understand why, but later we see it. Here's the third thing. And I think oftentimes this is what he'll do, maybe more than any other time, is that he can say, wait, just wait. And we have no idea what God wants to do. And we get impatient. And so maybe we settle for the little miracle, but the bigger miracle may come on the other side of our wait. Do you know between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, for us, it's just a flip of one page. But that flip of one page is 300 years. They call it the intertestamental period where there just wasn't really a whole lot of, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of prophecy. There wasn't, we weren't hearing much from God. And you look at it and you're like, man, 300 years of of silence. But then you look back at history and you see that uh, God was actually uh, uh, spreading the Greek language where everybody spoke a little bit of Greek and the Roman roads were developed during that 300 years. So that way when Jesus would come, word of his coming would spread. So in reality, it looked like God was silent. When in reality, he was building, he was working on something. God often does that with our prayers. Uh, Our church in Indianapolis has uh, six different locations around the city. And the reason why we do that is because we love every part of our city and we want to reach every part of our city. And so we just say we're one church in multiple locations. And and about um, seven years ago, we launched our very first campus and uh, we wanted to launch it in the smack dab middle of downtown Indianapolis because we're kind of on the um, northwest suburbs, our kind of our original campus. And and we were like, man, you know, we just know a lot of the people that are in the city. There's not a lot of churches down there and they're not going to drive up to the suburbs. So let's go to them. And uh, uh, we never started a, a site before. And so it was a lot of risk. And, and so I remember uh, we, we just had this conviction that in order for this to work, because everybody told us it wouldn't work. We said, we, we've got to um, buy a, a facility. So that way we send a message to the downtown community. We're here to stay. We're here to be with you. And so uh, there was a building that came up for sale uh, it was built in the early 1900s, just beautiful, like kind of stone building with these big columns out front. And um, the Jehovah's Witnesses had had it uh, since the 1960s and they were selling it. And so we were like, you know, uh, let, let's make an offer on that. And uh, so, so the building, I'll, I'll throw out just some numbers here for the sake of story. The, the building was, uh, they were asking $2.8 million for this building. 
And so I, I go to the elders and I'm like, hey, you know, we want to launch our first campus. And this means we, we need to buy this facility, which meant we're, the church was going to have to take on some debt to do it. And the elders looked at that. They prayed about it. They're, through their wisdom and discernment, they told me no. They were like, you know, we haven't launched a site yet. We don't really fully know what we're doing quite yet. Uh, to go into debt, we don't want to do that. And so let's launch, launch a campus through a rented facility in another part of town. Um, and then, and then um, we'll see, you know, what God does. And I honestly, I was, I'm such a visionary. I was so frustrated and I was upset. I was like, man, we're missing an opportunity to reach the city. And, uh, but I was like, okay. And for the next year, anytime I was downtown or I would take my wife on a date at a restaurant downtown, I would go out of my way to drive past that building. And as I drove by, I literally would pray out. You can ask my wife. I would literally pray out loud, God, would you please give us that building? And my wife's like, how's he going to do that? And I was like, I have no idea, but I'm just praying. And the real estate agent would call me every now and then and say, hey, they're going to rezone it and make it apartments. Do you want to make another offer? And I'm like, no, we, you know, we can't. And, and uh, um, so a year, year and a half goes by. I'm praying this prayer. I had no idea how it would happen. And um, there's a guy in our church that um, asked to have breakfast with me one morning. And we sit down, we're having breakfast. And he said, you know, I'm, I really want to make a difference. I really want to move the needle in our city. And he said, uh, is there anything that the church needs? Like, well, let me think. Um, yeah, yeah. So I started telling him about it. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, a, there was a piece of a green space right behind the building that came with the building. And there's a, a, another uh, organization that offered us 800000 for that piece of property. I said, we thought about, you know, buying the building for $2 million, selling that off. So he goes, oh, you don't want to give up the green space. And that's so valuable. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I, I want the building more than the green space. And just looking at creative ways that we could maybe uh, get this facility. And he said, well, one creative way is you could pay cash for the whole thing. And he took a bite of his scrambled eggs. And I was like, God, you know? So, so, so I was like, hey man, like you want to go see the building? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to. So, so we go down, I call the real estate agent. We set up this meeting. We're like walking around. And as soon as we walked in, the real estate agent uh, came up to me and he goes, hey, a couple things, Aaron. Number one, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like you. I was like, well, I don't like them. So, so he was like, he was like, they don't like you. Like you've already been here. Like, you know, you, they don't think you're serious. Number two, there's another group that's already put a letter of intent on this building. And it's not a full done deal yet, but they got a letter of intent going. And so it's, 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 it's not likely you guys are going to get this, but I'm, I'm happy to show you around. I was like, oh man. So we show, we walk around, we get outside, out in the parking lot. And my, my friend, this guy in our church, he, he looks at me and he says, he gets this big smile on his face. And he says, Aaron, I love everything about this building. We could reach so many people down here if we get this building. We got to make this happen. And I said, well, you heard what the guy said. And he goes, yeah, I heard him. He goes, how about you uh, make an offer today? Um, 2.82 million and uh, in cash. And he said, uh, if you get into a bidding war with anybody, uh, I authorize you to go up to 3.3 million cash. And he goes, tell me how it goes. Pats me on the shoulder, <laughs> hops in his Porsche and drives away. And we immediately had like an elders meeting. I remember that night, like we had an elders meeting. They said, isn't this the building we said no to a year ago? I was like, yeah. And they go, what changed? And I go, God's giving us the building, right? And uh, man, that guy purchased uh, the building. Can I tell you that uh, that was six, seven years ago. There are over 1,200 people at that campus and young professionals, college kids. Um, 
Every time we have a baptism, I text that to my friend. I said, hey man, like this is what's happening down here. Now, now I say all that to simply say this. If I would have like taken the shortcut, our church would have, you know, gone into debt, you know, for the building. But instead God had a beer, bigger miracle in the wait. And I know that's like, that. okay, so there, that, that's that example. Now I want you to apply that to your life right now. And just, I just simply want to ask you, what is it that you've been seeking God for? And it feels as if he said no or wait, and you've been frustrated. Can I just entertain this thought for you right now? That maybe God is allowing you to wait to give you a bigger miracle than what you had the faith to ask for in the first place. I love what it says in, in Daniel. Daniel prays this prayer and, and, then he, and then he just waits and nothing seems to be happening. And then finally an angel shows up and explains what had happened. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then he said, hey, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. He's saying, as soon as you prayed your prayer, heaven heard that prayer. And then he says, I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. In other words, he's saying, I got caught up in spiritual warfare behind the scenes. Like I was trying to get here to answer your prayer, but there was a spiritual battle going on. And can I say the principalities and power, man, preaching is one of the most fulfilling, blessing things that I've, I can do in my life. It is literally the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my life. I have this, some of you, some people ask me, why do you have two watches on? And I know you, some of you thought it. So let me just go ahead and, it, this is not a watch. This tracks my heart rate. It, tra it tracks my, my day strain. I, I, uh, I work out every day except for Sunday. Sunday's my rest day. But my, strength, my heart strain is higher on Sunday than it is on the days I work out. And I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and he goes, well, you know why, right? Because you're, the, the principalities and powers of darkness in the room as you preach coming against you. And for even those of you right now who in your seat have been wrestling and, and struggling and, and, and talking, your inner attorney has been arguing with me. Can I just say that there's, there's a battle going on behind the scenes for your soul. Trying to convince you that none of this is real. Your heart is broken because maybe God has said no. You walked away, but you didn't have the patience to wait. And so you forfeited the miracle that he was paving the way for in your life. And Psalm chapter 27 says this, wait patiently for the Lord. And then he knows what we'll need in order to be patient, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And today I'm just wondering if there's anybody that needs to experience the healing power of Jesus. And maybe you've just been coming to him with this request and you've been waiting and you've been waiting. And you can I just ask you, have you been waiting 38 years? And it seems as if he hasn't come through. And I wanna ask you just to maybe have this simple faith to come and to present your request before God. I'm reminded of uh, the story in the Old Testament of this guy by the name of Naaman, who was the most powerful general in the world. He was the captain of the Assyrian army and he gets leprosy. And there is uh, a guy named Elisha in one of the camps um, who has been taken as a slave from one of the kingdoms that they conquered. And he hears that Elisha's God might be able to heal him. 
And so he brings in Elisha and he says, hey, you know, could your God heal me? And here's what Naaman is thinking. Naaman is thinking that there's some big price he's got to pay or some big feat he's got to accomplish. And then God will reward him with healing. That's religious legalism, by the way. And Elisha says, no, how about you just go to the Jordan River, this nasty little mud creek and dip seven times. And that seventh time you'll be like new. And Naaman was so offended. Um, I was in the Holy Land a couple of months ago and I uh, went to the Jordan River. I want to show you a picture of it. It's pretty nasty. Now, not, 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 not every part, like up closer to the Sea of Galilee, it's really clean and fresh. That's where they do a lot of the baptisms. But on down uh, near Jerusalem, it's, it's muddy. In fact, we had a couple of people in our group that were like, oh, I don't know that I want to be baptized in that. And Naaman is so offended by this. He's like, how in the world can I be cleansed through that? And see, the water wasn't what was cleansing. It was his faith disposition to trust in a God who could cleanse him. And so I want to wrap up our time together today. We're, the team's going to give you an opportunity to just be prayed over and prayed for. And I want to read this quote from a guy named Ian Bounds. He simply says this, God, God is waiting to be put to the test by his people in prayer. He delights in being put to the test on his promises. It is his highest pleasure to answer prayer, to prove the reliability of his promises. Anybody need to be cleansed today? Anybody need a miracle today? Anybody exhausted today because you've been waiting or you feel as if God has said no? Why should you come? Why should you ask? Because there is a God who hears your prayers and wants to answer your prayers. But more than that, he wants to change your heart for all of eternity. Lord God, there's a lot of hurt in this room and those watching online. Life is messy. It's painful. It's unpredictable. And right now we, we need you. And so we collectively lift our voices and we ask for you to bring healing into our lives. I don't know what somebody is dealing with right now today. It could be physical pain of some kind. It could be terminal illness. It could be a marriage and they've thrown hours and hours of counseling at it. It doesn't seem to be changing anything. It could be a grown child who's walked away from God and walked away from relationship. It could be a financial pit that they don't know how to, they're going to dig themselves out of. It could be mental or emotional anxiety and they've tried everything. And God, today, we, we want to come to you with, with a simple faith and vocalize our request to you and trust that you are sovereign that you could bless even when you say no. And that if you say, wait, we know that you're orchestrating things behind the scenes for a bigger miracle in our lives. But today, you, you just might say yes. And so we come and we ask, God, we need to be healed. We need your touch, the thing that only you can provide. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.